and uh, nothing hugely eventful this week. So uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> for a change, we're uh, we're winding down and uh, we're we're heading into March. Yeah, which is always an uneventful month. Um, I we are gonna probably have a uh, a week off when April rolls around. We're uh, I'm I'm taking the family to New York for spring break. Finally going to New York. Finally again. going to New York. It's been I a while for you, haven't it? I have not been to New York in. I remember when Christy was there. She was working on that. Uh, she was working that on was, that was Castle film. You know, it was it was the uh, it was the With Tom uh, DeChillo film. That's what I'm thinking. Tom DeChillo film. Yeah. yeah, it was Tom DeChillo film that she was working on. She was hired by the production company, and I just spent her per diem for uh, two weeks. <laughs> Uh yeah, I did the I did the podcast from there with Mark remotely. Oh yes, we did a we did a we did a thing. Uh, anybody who's listened to the podcast for for that long would would remember that probably. But uh yeah, that was uh, I went once since I went to a marriage since, but uh, I went you know a wedding in a cemetery and uh, that was <laughs> <New> <laughs> which. <laughs> Which is amazing. funny because the the wedding in the cemetery, the the friends of ours who got married in the cemetery, they now have two little girls who are who bookend uh, my daughter. Mm-hmm. So uh, one in front and one after. Yeah, yeah, one in front and one after. So we're gonna we're gonna see them and the girls are gonna play and all that stuff. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be fun. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see a show or you know do whatever. Go to the uh, the Statue of Liberty. And uh, and my daughter has had all of these New York units in elementary school, and she's seen pictures. So it's going to be very exciting. It'll be her first time. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, it'll be good. So we'll probably that time of the year. But yes, it will. It's a good time of year. It'll be the spring. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, we're 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 going to have the show back on its feet now. Where I'm hopefully not going to have any coughing attacks or any more uh, health issues. Um, we 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 have to we have to. Um Start uh, uh, properly uh, tweeting. tweeting. Yeah. I have a Twitter account. Uh, Tim we Cox have one for, for the show. We we've have got, to. We have we've to start gods our, and digigods. Uh, we have to do the tweeting thing. Now, what about Instagram? Are we doing the Instagram? No. Yeah, I've got an Instagram on my own. Uh, but I don't, I don't, should we have one? Well, I'm almost you know, all the kids. <laughs> you know, all the kids, all the kids. <coughs> There's my lingering yeah, cough. Yeah, yeah, all the kids, you know, uh-huh. and I'm, you know, my little goddaughter in there, and she's just always because she's like, whenever I, ask, she says, so, you know, what's that thing you're doing? And I tell her about the thing I'm doing. And of course, she, what's the Instagram account? I don't Th- that's the, no matter right. what. I, what's the Instagram account? And if I don't have an Instagram account for it, she immediately it doesn't damn about doesn't it. exist. It doesn't matter what the hell it is. If there's not an Instagram connection, it, it, I do notice that more and more people on Facebook are in their fifties and sixties. Yeah, <laughs> and my and my 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 niece Cameron, who's younger than 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 Cy, yeah, uh, doesn't even have a Facebook account and never has. You know what's going to happen? We are going to get Instagram accounts, and then the kids <laughs> then will say TikTok, TikTok. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about that TikTok. Yeah, thing. yeah. off it goes. Anyway, well, well, yeah, gotta do, gotta do it. Facebook us or email us at godsatdigigods.com and let us know. Should we do an Instagram account? What do we? If so, what do we take pictures of? I don't know. What we take <laughs> no pictures idea. of. Okay. I always take pictures of my feet at screenings. <laughs> yeah, I love that you do that though. <laughs> that's, I think that's fun. That's the dumbest. thing I think thing that's I can fun. Do. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna hit some PBS stuff here. We had a have a have a great lineup of some PBS titles that uh, fans of public television and all the great documentaries and uh, and product thereof will probably appreciate. Um, <clears throat> One of them actually hits hits uh, somewhat close to home in certain ways. Uh, fire in Paradise, inside the deadliest and most destructive fire in California history, is a frontline documentary, and man, frontline. It was only just, a couple of years ago. 
This is uh, a, a year ago. Yeah. Uh, this is, fr- you know, a little over a year ago. This is the um, November campfire in 2018. And uh, the, uh, the which wound up destroying thirty thousand homes and and killing nearly a hundred people, and it was just absolutely a disaster up north in Northern California. And I, of course, uh, experienced the Woolsey fire yeah. uh, firsthand, which overlapped with the campfire and was was bad in large part because so many people, so many so much personnel was in the north already fighting the campfire, and we didn't have enough people uh, at the spur of the moment to deal with Woolsey when it came blowing through. And, um, you know, I've, I've lived through a lot of brush fires. I live in brush fire territory. So this, this I, I relate to a lot of this, too, and, um, and a lot of the issues discussed herein. Uh, it is, it is, it's a tough watch if you've been through any of this stuff, but it is, it is a superb documentary. It is, uh, it, it's only an hour long, so it just, it moves like a freight train hits all the relevant points and doesn't really come up with a lot of answers, but boy, it, they, they really did a fantastic job on this. It's, uh, it's superb. Another excellent job by Frontline. Um, <clears throat> on a lighter note, a, an installment of nature bears. Oh, this is all about the, the, the bears uh, and not the football team. This is, uh, this is a look at all the different varieties of bear and, and what they, what they mean to us as people we, you know, you forget, we've got a lot of bears in literature. Yeah. Goldilocks and the three bears. Mm-hmm. I mean, on and on and on and on. Yeah, bears Pooh are a, and, and, and yeah, all Winnie that, yeah. the Pooh. Bears are a big deal to people. And uh, this goes into that. Why do they stir our imagination? And what is their, their ecological role and all that stuff? And um, it's really it's really sweet. They're, you realize it, it takes you sort of into the... the um, uh, the community of a bear, you know wh- how they are as in in their families and in their mm. communities, and it's really it's really interesting. Different varieties of bears. Some are a little more hostile than others. When we when we were kids, uh, mm. what was it? Gentle Ben. Gentle Ben. That was the thing, right? Yes. I, and, and Starring I, Clint Howard Clint before Howard. he turned yeah, into yeah, a really little, weird looking grown up. Yeah, little little boy. Yeah. And Ron um, Howard's brother. I can't I can't think of an equivalent. Uh, you know, you know, in the ensuing decades of we the, had a lot of that stuff. The the kid because we uh, had the Clarence Cross-eyed Lion. Yes, we had uh, Doctari. What, what was Doctari? What was the uh, what was the dolphin one? Oh, Flipper. Flipper. Flipper, yeah, I right? can't think of equivalents in the you know in the last twenty years. Thirty, 30 years of, of, of that. Wow, it'd be nice to have one again, wouldn't it? The the, the bizarre little things that the I way know. The, the zeitgeist zeitgeist yeah. changes, yeah. You, and you don't even realize it happened. Cannot yeah. think of that at all. Yeah, wow. Born free, <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah, we yeah. had a lot of that. That was a big hit. I know. It's crazy. Uh, well, Rise of the Mammals, uh, an episode of Nova. Is uh, is also really really super cool. This this is a thing a lot of people don't realize. There were mammals that lived at the same time as dinosaurs. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the pterodactyl was a mammal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there 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 were there were actual, but I mean, there were like no mammals. There were like little warm blooded, furry, furry around on birth giving mammals on the crane. Yeah, yeah. But they were a minor species on the planet. They were just surrounded by giant giant dinosaurs. So uh, when the dinosaurs went away, the mammals took over. And uh, this is all about that. This is all about the, the emergence of mammals as the predominant um, uh, kingdom, as the predominant, not even a kingdom, but the predominant species on the earth and all that stuff. So it's really, really very interesting and uh, gets into all kinds of paleontological and zoological stuff and 
and they've got some really, really great researchers and, and fun artifacts. It's really terrific. It's really good. Nova, Rise of the Mammals. Yay, us. We're mammals. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, so another, dolphins. got a couple other Novas here. Uh, <clears throat> the Look Who's Driving is really kind of uh, a, a little daunting. This is all about the, um, the, the, the whole idea of, uh, of uh, autonomous vehicles and the technology that drives them. And is this something we really want in the world? And I'm, I'm, I know it's inevitable, but I'd rather it not happen while I'm alive. Mm. It's pretty creepy. Uh, the, but anyway, this does talk about all the technology involved and uh, the research that they're doing and what the hurdles are. And it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Mm. It's pretty crazy. The thing that's scary is you look at the technology you hear that they talk about and you go, wow, that's amazing. And then you think, Ooh, but what if it fails? Yeah. Because it's going to fail. Yeah. You know, and like, frankly, we already know what happens when it fails. It fails a lot. Like, there, you know, I, I love the technology that we use to record this podcast, but you know there have been days <laughs> when I've gone, uh-oh. It, and, it you crashed know, 20 minutes ago. It, yeah. And, and, and there was one where it's like, oh, crap, how do I get that back? Like, we literally yeah. almost lost a show, and I had to go digging around for temp files yeah. to resurrect a show. Imagine you're just sitting in the back seat of a car, you're tweeting or reading the news or doing whatever, and the car's just zipping through traffic, and then all of a sudden, the car's computer crashes, yeah. or it loses an internet connection or yeah. something, and you go, Bzzz. now yeah. what? Yeah. How are you going to get to work? It's, it, how are you going to avoid that uh, other car that's coming? There, there, yeah. there was one of those vehicles that hit a human with a, with a bicycle. Yeah, crossing. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, and I'm thinking it's got cameras all over. It's got sensors, and it had another human in the vehicle, mm-hmm. and it still hit <laughs> the lady with the bike. True. So you know what? Nah, nah, <laughs> we're good. Uh, another Nova. Why bridges collapse? Uh, oh, that's a great one. I've seen that one. It's, it's fantastic. It has that. It has that image of that that bridge from 19 whatever the hell it yeah. was. It's doing the, the that, flip that, waving that, around. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, bridge technology is ancient. I mean, there are there are there bridges as, as old as humanity. Yeah. Uh, as long as you know, when armies, if an army needed to cross a, a river, they found a way to build a bridge. Um, but this is sort of this begins with the collapse of that bridge in in Genoa, Italy, in 2018, mm. <clears throat> which killed uh, several dozen people. And um, it, it they they use that as kind of the launching point to get into the uh, the subject of bridges. That may be aging, that may that you know, that are part of the uh, the infrastructure problem here, and what? Why do some bridges collapse and others not? And what's involved in the engineering and in the aging? And it's really it's quite interesting. Um, you know, my both of my uncles were uh, were civic engineers, and you know could give you chapter and verse on all this stuff. And it's really really interesting, and some of it's a little scary. Mm. Last novel we've got here is uh, Dead Sea Scroll Detectives. I I love the subject of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think it's just absolutely fascinating that in 1947, uh, this this Bedouin shepherd kid wanders into a cave <laughs> and changes our understanding of yeah. religious history for for 2,000 years. Um, you know, who knows what's sitting around in a cave somewhere even today? Yeah, um, we're not that far past it. Uh, if something if something could take uh, 1,947 years to be discovered. 
I guarantee you there's something somewhere in a cave that we still haven't discovered. No, so. I can't, it always blows me away about how many how many cuneiform tablets they had found and, 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 and kind of destroyed yeah. before they realized, you know what? I think that's those things. I, I, think, I think that's, that's important. A, that's a book. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a book. How many of those have we thrown away? Oh, man. Well, the, the, what, what's really upsetting here is that a lot of the scrolls, they, they obviously were in very fragile shape when they found them, and uh, they've done their best to preserve them, but uh, a lot of them uh, didn't serve, haven't survived the time. I mean, we got them out of the jars, and now they're, um, they're, they're, they're kind of a mystery. So now they're trying to use technology to, to take those scrolls that may have not survived so well and to see if we can infrared and you know ultrasound our way to maybe figuring out what was on them and and see if there's anything relevant and it's all really interesting, uh, fascinating stuff. So a lot of technology involved in that as well. Uh, a couple of installments of nature. There is nature's biggest beasts and Okavango River of Dreams. A lot of a lot of cool African stuff here and more. Uh, Nature's Biggest Beasts is is all about just being being a big, uh, imposing and intimidating animal, and uh, that takes a lot of different forms in this thing. I mean, it's you know everything from like the Komodo dragon, which is uh, technically the largest lizard, uh, to whales, to you know everything else. It's it's quite interesting. This is a, a co-production between thirteen uh, productions, BBC Studios. And WNET, and uh, it's a, it's really it's a lot of fun. I you know giraffes and everything else, elephants. Uh, Okavango River of Dreams is all about a river in southern Africa. Um, that uh, it, the like the source of it is in Angola, and it's it, it's a really really fascinating river. It's not one of the most famous rivers necessarily in the world. Most people don't think about the Okavango. But it is, it is fascinating in the sense that it it is kind of like a an artery that supports so many different ecosystems and animal populations. It may be the most important river in the world, uh, and it's it, it's kind of a metaphor in many respects for for a lot of different a lot of things ecological and even sociological, and it's really interesting. Um, this is actually a three part series. It's narrated by F. Murray Abraham. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Okavango River of Dreams. It's uh, nearly three hours long and worth every single second of it. Uh, got another front line here in the age of AI, which is obviously talking about artificial intelligence and uh, where it's going to take us. And we're talking about it a lot more now, now that uh, we mm. have actual AI, rudimentary AI, running all kinds of things in our lives. We've got, you know, iRobots running around cleaning the house, and we've got, uh, you know, my, here's, here's what my daughter likes to do. She likes to ask Google questions. Hey, Google, and then she'll ask it a question. Mm. And then, to make sure Google's not lying to her, she will ask Siri the same Whoa. question. I got to tell you, that's brilliant. Yes. Double and cross-check. When she starts yeah. triple-checking, yeah. she'll be ready for journalism school. Wait, that's Alexa. Yeah. Alexa will Alexa. Be, We don't have Alexa in the house. Not yet. Uh, not yet, but we got Google and Siri. Anyway, that's the world that our kids are growing up in. And Yeah, um, yeah. Check everything. Fact-checked every damn thing. <laughs> Good work, kid. <laughs> What's amazing is that she knows that this is a necessary thing to do. Yeah. 
She says she she knows. You know what? You gotta ask. You gotta ask a couple of people. You can't believe everything they say. I'll tell you, it's really interesting. I mean, AI is where it's at. It's the it's gonna be the future. It's a little scary. It goes along with the automatic car deal, uh, autonomous car. But man, there it is. Um, and then a little bit of a gear change. Rothko Pictures Must Be Miraculous from American Masters. Um, is all about Mark Rothko, the famous abstract expressionist painter uh, who uh, who changed everything in that particular world. Um, and uh, you know his his work is uh, highly in demand today. They they're you know every time some one of his shows up at an auction, it just sets a new record, and it's really interesting. And what an interesting guy! Fascinating. Uh, the 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 life stories and the processes of great artists always fascinates me. And uh, they get some first-hand interviews with his kids in this one, and uh, it's it's really uh, it's really quite cool. Um, all, they also talk about the uh, the play Red, in which Alfred Molina won a Tony for playing Rothko, and uh, it's all good. And then uh, lastly, season two of No Passport Required with Marcus Samuelson, which is just a whole lot of fun. It's a six-part series that uh, goes all over the United States to just look at food and culture and all the different corners of the United States that just have different ways of uh, integrating their historical cuisines and immigrant cuisines, and and uh, it's really great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you just you, you just never know what kind of food and culture you're going to find in what corner of the country, and it's always surprising. And it does, you know, in this, these very divisive times, it makes you realize that we really are one country, but mm. we're a lot of a lot of moving pieces to one country, and Indeed. it's uh, it's just it's really really great. So there's that on uh, all that from PBS. Uh, uh, do some of these old movies? Yeah, let's do some oh, yeah, old no, movies. Not, not, not all that old, but you know, you know, class library titles, library titles. library titles. Because yeah. it always bugs me a little bit when we call these movies old. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they don't feel that old. Because <laughs> I remember seeing this movie. I, I, know. I remember how much the ticket cost. Uh, to this movie, for instance, <laughs> when a stranger calls, 1979, Fred Walton film with Carol Kane and Charles Journey. Uh, a really neat little sort of film uh, coming coming in the midst of a whole bunch of films like this, sort of stalker films um, um, in the in the late 70s, early 80s. This is a part of the. Uh, is this is this that um, that. That Mill Creek series? Yeah, that's the Mill Creek stuff. Mill Creek yeah. series, the great boxes. There's one like from the MVD. There's the <laughs> MVD Rewind series, and then there's this Mill Creek series, and they're they're easy to they're they're but those because they have the, the with the with the rewind with the thing with the little. They all the they VHS. all basically give you the old VHS artwork, yeah. and and they're comparable, which is r- w- wicked cool. Yeah. Love this movie, straight up stalker film. Uh, this is Scream before Scream. Yeah, uh, uh, Carol Kane, teenager. She she gets a phone call. She, this is the film where that um, uh, refrain that I know you know he's in the house yeah yeah that's this is the film where that comes yeah from. so it's really kind of neat love carol kane uh back in the day the wonderful charles during uh in the film too no special features per se but a neat movie from a uh, really great sort of blast from the past you and i were both at the junket for hudson hawk yes 1991 yes uh bruce willis film uh the film did not fare well bruce was surly uh bruce was quite surly <laughs> that day. yeah uh, you know. I remember the, here's here's the one question that I remember so well that somehow at our table the the conversation and I love the film by the way. I have Danny, fun with this movie. Danny, Danny Aiello, who Bruce just Willis, recently passed. singing these sort of classic songs. I just think it's film. it's a fun film. It's <laughs> a really e. Grant, fun film. Um, 
Um, Sandra Bernhardt. Oh yeah, it's a bunny, bunny, ball, ball. It's a funny <laughs> film. It's a silly film. But uh, but when I the remember. The dog goes out the window. That's hysterical. <laughs> I was I was one of the few who really loved this movie and, and and has defended it ever since. You know, Michael Reschaffen and I in 2005 were recruited to do a video. This is when I was actually in New York when mm. Christie was on that Tom DeCillo film. They recruited. They wanted they wanted to do a featurette for the release of Hudson Hawk, a special edition on DVD. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to do a special edition release that had a featurette of critics arguing about the movie. And it was all set up. It was all set up. Michael Reschaffen um, was going to be the critic who hated it. And I was the guy who was defending it. And they, and they really had the search. And Michael's like, I'll bet Wade, I'll bet Wade liked it because he knew. And he recommended it. I'm like, yeah, I love that movie. They're like, would you do it? I'm like, totally. And they had it set up. We had a, there was a date and a time, and a camera crew was going to come, and I was going to meet them in, in this room at Lincoln Center. <laughs> and and so they, they'd hooked it up, you know? They're, I'm like, I'm in New York. They're like, not a problem. We'll do it. And we, it was all set up, and like three days before, they pulled the plug. <sighs> I don't know why. Ah, did, did they pull on the whole thing? They, they pulled the did plug. They even do the release. I don't they remember. did the release. They, they did, did the release, but they pulled the plug on the idea of that extra. They figured, why would we spend money having two guys argue about whether the movie's any good or not? And I thought, oh, that's such a mistake. Yeah, it's such a mistake it's because I would have made a really good case for the film. Yeah, I would have made it. I mean, people would have said, I like that guy. But in any case, um, yeah, I, I remember the one conversation with Bruce Willis at that junket at our table was somehow it turned to his weight and his weight loss because mm-hmm. he was looking all kind of cut mm-hmm. and he'd been a little bit overweight. He'd let himself go for a minute, you know, the year before. And I and I remember somebody. At the table, said to him, and this is sad that the only this is the only thing I remember from the Hudson Hawk junket. <laughs> but I remember one other thing. But the, the one thing I remember from our table was that that somebody said to him, they said, "So, you know, what's the secret then to losing weight?" And Bruce looked at the guy and he goes, "Stop eating so much." <laughs> That's it. He goes, "Stop eating so much." That's how I did it. I just stopped eating. Stopped being a pig. Asshole. And the only other thing I remember oh. from that from that junket was. Wherever Danny Aiello was, people were having a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Danny was telling stories and back slapping. And and Danny did. Well, for one thing, Danny didn't give a damn. Yeah. Uh, Well, Danny never gave a damn (laughs) 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 about what any of us thought about any film he was in, about his performance. No. Or anything. Danny didn't give a damn. Uh, That was great about him. Bruce Lehman film. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, Michael. uh, uh, Michael Michael Lehman film. Michael Lehman film. Do you know him? I'm. He spoke to. He's a UCLA grad. Yeah, and, I knew and, that. And and uh, he came and talked to one of my classes, my editing class at UCLA. Yeah, because he would have been a little ahead of us. Michael's yeah. about ten years older than us. Yeah, right? uh, me yeah. Anyway. That's 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 and, and nice guy. Yeah, you know, nice guy. What well, hell of a career? You, you would have thought to uh, mm-hmm. California K House of Lies. Uh, yeah. Uh, currently, he's knocking out uh, episodes of uh, Sixty Eight Whiskey. Which no is that kidding. new um, um, uh, uh, going to be? It's not out yet. Yeah, uh, show that's set uh, in the Middle East. Uh, yeah, doing the Ivory. So, wow. Yeah, yeah Mike. So yeah, hang around. Lots of snowfalls. That John. That John. Um, Sweet. Uh, Singleton show. Yeah. Uh, lots of those. So Michael, you know, holding it down, keeping it going. Interesting. I, I, I mentioned that because you know, way back in the day, early nineties, you look at these yeah. guys. You make these movies. Uh, uh, the 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 movie he made before that, I can't remember exactly what it was. But he had a, he had like a hit film. Yeah, uh, Michael, uh, right before that movie, and then he gets the big studio film, and you think you, this a career is going to happen a certain sort of way. Yeah, but it doesn't happen that way. No. But it's, but and you think oh well, that guy flopped, he failed, he didn't make it. No, Michael Lehman, uh, Michael uh, doesn't ha- he he's not missing. Yeah, a year. 
Nope. He's not missing a, a, a single year working. of working. Keep uh, yeah, working. Make any Heathers. Heathers. Yep. Heathers. Is That's what right. Um, uh, Richard Gere and Kim Basinger in uh, No Mercy. Oh, boy, do I remember this. Yeah, yeah we in 1986. Yeah. Uh, uh, this, this film, uh, Richard Pierce film. Uh, look, other, this is okay. Uh, Chicago Cops goes down to New Orleans to avenge the, the death of his partner, gets caught up with these sort of what I think they intended to be sort of like a... Um, Oh, uh, Burt Reynolds and uh, Warren Beatty and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, the kind of thing going on yeah. there, and then getting <clears throat> caught up with the Kim Basinger and all that. These movies were, you know, stock and trade back in the day. Interesting to me, most of these movies could not be made and released as feature films today, even with major movie stars. You know, Richard Gere was a big old movie star by then. So was Kim Basinger. Yeah. The equivalent of them in this movie today, not going to happen. But, but I rather enjoyed that movie, Vibes. I really enjoyed uh, this movie. Jeff Goldblum, Cindy Locker, yeah. a little light film. Uh, films like this, uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, that was, it was a whole it was a whole mess of them. That was Jim Carrey's uh, first movie. Uh, Earth yeah. Easy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Damon Wayans in that movie, uh, right. bouncing around these movies. Uh, you know, fun to fun to a certain extent. Um, this this movie is, if I'm not mistaken, directed by Ken Kawapis. Yeah. This was directed by Ken Kawapis, yeah. right? Uh, who, who later would be married to Marissa Silver. And they oh, directed that movie. Right. He said Cisha with you know, Kevin Bacon. Oh, and, my goodness. And everything. So, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. I went and I looked up. Gosh, I, I, I did the junket for that film. Yeah. And, and I went and looked up Marissa. Almost nothing. Wow. Almost nothing. Weird. In her career. Kind of like, um, <clears throat> it was, what's his name, who was married to um, uh, the Goldie Hawn. They made the Golden the Goldie Hawn film. Uh, where Private Benjamin, yeah, uh, yeah, Charles yeah. Shire and Nancy Myers, and they had this little thing for a while until so they got divorced because he was this sleeping with the but, assistant. You're yeah. What, yeah, you know. Now Nancy's career is the one that took off. That took off, and yeah. Charles does what he does. You know, he's he's okay, he's fine. Yeah, but Nancy's career is the one yeah. that went. So interesting, sort of. You know, yeah. when that sort of happens. Anyway, vibes was a lot of fun. Cindy Lauper sort of making her quasi cinematic yeah. debut. She had been in a few other things. Uh, body parts. <laughs> you remember this movie, 1999? I do. I do. Uh, uh, look, um, Jeff Fahey. You know, I know Jeff. Jeff's a cool yeah. guy. Hangs around with Sherm a lot uh, over there. And he had a yeah, he had a little career there for a lawnmower, lawnmower man. man. Yeah, uh, and, and all of that stuff. This was this was uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, special features include a audio commentary with Eric Red. Uh, Eric, uh, who directed this film. Yeah. Uh, and he's an interesting fella, too, um, actually. Uh, talking to him there for a while. Let's scare Jessica to death. Man. Oh, I remember this so well. Uh, well, for John D. Hancock film. Yeah. 1971. This was just simply, again, this was a period when this sort of movie was being made. There were a whole bunch of these. And they sort of float around. Uh, I mean, yeah, some of them were straight up a horror. So you got your carries and you got your... Um, uh, Eyes of Laura Mars and the house at the end of the, 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 the hill and all the haunted hill and all that kind of stuff. Just let's scare Jessica to death was was ever so slightly more psychological. Yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing really supernatural going on in this movie, but you felt like you were watching a supernatural thriller as you watch this film. Full of um, um, uh, special features here, audio commentaries uh, with uh, director John. Hancock and the producer, interviews with the compo- with the composer, uh, interviews with uh, film historian Kim Newman. There's a location featurette. Really, really neat stuff. The radio spots. Uh, let's scare Jessica to death. That was not bad at all. You want to knock a few off over there? Yeah, let I- me. Uh, I'll hit off a few of the Arrow uh, Library. Got a great old film noir, Black Angel. What a fun movie this is. 
Black Angel, uh, one of the great film noirs of the era. This is uh, kind of a, it's, it's it, you know, a lot of the, the noirs kind of fall between the cracks. But for, of all the 40s noirs, this one is one of the best. And it's well worth rediscovering. So I'm thrilled that Arrow Academy is putting it out. It stars Dan Duryea, uh, June Vincent, and Peter Lorre. Mm. Oh, Peter Lorre. Directed by Roy William Neal, who, of course, did um, tons of uh, Sherlock Holmes films with Basil Rathbone. And uh, just a real workmanlike director. And this is terrific. This is basically about a woman who's killed in her apartment, uh, like, a, like a torch song, uh, you know, singer at a nightclub. And um, uh, all the guys, suddenly all the men in her life are, are now um, potential suspects. And uh, it's really, really interesting. Um, the Peter Peter Laurie is terrific. He plays like mm-hmm. the slimy guy who owns the nightclub, mm-hmm. and which is just perfect for him. And it's just it's it's a lot of fun. It's really a smart script and uh, and and a lot of fun to watch. Beautiful transfer. Arrow did a great job on it. There's an audio commentary by the um, uh, film scholar Alan K. Road, um, writer and film scholar, and then um, a really interesting v- uh, video appreciation is what they call it, uh, A Fitting End by film historian Neil Sinyard. So um, promotional materials and all kinds of stuff on there too. Um, f- also from Arrow Academy is Manon by Henri-Georges Clouseau, uh, who we talked about last week, the, uh, the great French filmmaker. Mm. Um, this is uh, not to be confused with um, uh, Manon des Sources or Manon of the Spring, the uh, Michel Pagnol stuff uh, or Marcel Pagnol stuff. That's, this is not at all the, that same Manon. I want people to be very clear on that. Uh, this is from a 1731 novel called Manon Lescaut, which... Uh, is in this case is taken out of its 18th century setting and it's transposed to World War II, and uh, it's it, it, and that's a really interesting choice because you think what's what how do you take something from the 18th century and you give it a World War II backdrop? There's got to be some thing there, and and there is um, it, because the 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 original story is pre-Napoleonic. This story is. I, there, there are analogies, and I, 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 this might give something away, so I'm going to try not to. But th- there are analogies between pre-Napoleonic France and um, occupied France, and the issue of collaboration in during the World War II period in France has an analogy in the in the uh, pre-Napoleonic era, in the pre-revolutionary period in France. So um, that is very, very interesting, that juxtaposition. And um, then, of course, there's a, you know, there's a whole, there's all kinds of really seedy stuff that goes on with this couple who, you know, are, uh, I, I won't give it away. But it's really, really interesting. And um, it has kind of a, uh, a Bonnie and Clyde aspect to it that is really worth checking out. I, I think it's a superb film. It's very unusual for Clouseau. And uh, it is a worthwhile investment to put that into your library from Arrow Academy, Manon. Also from Arrow, Arrow proper is Deadly Manor, which is, uh, you know, kind of a dumb movie, but it's got a cult following. Uh, it's, uh, it, you know, it's a slasher movie. It's basically a, uh, a, a 1990s attempt to uh, resurrect some, to, to do a new franchise in the Friday the 13th Halloween vein. Nah, eh, whatever. It's got an audio commentary with Kat Ellinger and Sam Dean, 
uh, who've been doing a ton of audio commentaries lately. And then uh, there's, you know, an interview with the, uh, the lead actress in it and uh, some other stuff, and an interview with the producer. And then the, the most interesting release from Arrow this week are the three films in the One Missed Call trilogy. Uh, this is a Japanese trilogy that most people have probably only seen one, maybe two of these films. I don't know many people who've seen all three. Takashi Miike, mm. the incredibly prolific Takashi Miike, Renpei Tsukamoto, and uh, Manabu Aso are the three directors responsible for this. And um, this is the first time that all three of these films from that J-horror era that gave us the grudge and the ring, Ringu, and all that stuff, mm. this is part of that movement, that moment. And this is the first time that all three of these have been available for the, together in a single set, in Blu-ray set. And uh, it's, uh, it's really worth checking out. Um, they, they are, each, each of the films is unique, and, and I wouldn't say one is better than the other, but they're all unique in their own way, and they all kind of go together in, their, in a very, very interesting way. Uh, so definitely check this out. I mean, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole thing basically is um, very much in the, in the same vein as Ringu. Uh, except here, they people get a phone call from their future self, and then they hear themselves d- scream while they're dying, and then of course that leads to you know your own death. And so, how do you you know when you get that call, you're it's obviously a, you know your your death now. Um, very very interesting, very interesting trilogy. Tons and tons of extras, featurettes and interviews and audio commentaries on here. There, you could you could spend hours with this, and you're never going to want to pick up the phone ever again. I guarantee you, it's it'll be done. Mm. Uh, a few more of these. Yeah, uh, these particular ones I believe are from Shout. Yes, uh, I love these movies uh, way back mm. in the day. Or I, yeah, I appreciated them anyway. I actually hated very bad things, but I appreciated <laughs> it because it was just such a terrible movie for a long time. Very bad things was thought of as one of the worst films ever made. Was it really for a very long time? Uh, a dark comedy, well, very that's bad. Kind of thing. unfair. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. Uh, but Peter Berg film, uh, it's just a dark comedy with uh, a young skinny John Favreau and Cameron Diaz and Christian Slater. Uh, guys go off to Vegas, uh, blah, 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 blah. Now, you watch this movie and you ask yourself about, the, about those hangout movies. Or, yeah, or they're, 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 the wait, hangover movies. The hangover movies. Yeah. Same movie. Uh, relatively speaking. Yeah, I, uh, all I remember about this is I just remember Christian Slater holding, a, holding the, uh, uh, the chainsaw. chainsaw. Yeah. yeah, the chainsaw. Yeah. They, well, the sequence that opens this movie is, is so me too wrong uh, today. <laughs> the, you know, the thing that happens with the hooker. Uh, that, oh, yeah. That is so me too wrong today that you could never make this movie in a thousand years. And to my mind, that's not necessarily a bad thing. All kinds of special features on here, including an audio commentary. Uh, with a couple of film critics and uh, interviews with uh, Jeremy Piven in particular and actor Daniel Stern. What the hell happened to Daniel Stern? You should love Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern, uh, he's, 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 he's around. Hanging around? He? I guess yeah. so. Yeah, you don't see him as much as you used to. Sliding Doors, uh, Peter Howlett film. Interesting film, this Gwyneth Paltrow film. Really uh, interesting uh, movie. From back in 1998. Yeah. The, the idea of, of this young woman... Who, if she uh, catches a train, her life will go one way, and she yeah. misses a train, her life will go the other way. He shows you what would happen either way, and sort of inter, 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 <coughs> intercuts them together, as we see uh, how Gwyneth li- uh, uh, Paltrow's life would play out. Really lovely film, John Hanna. This is the collector's edition. All kinds of wonderful special features, including an audio commentary with the director 
Peter Howlett. So, uh, you know. There's actually a, a Christoph Kieslowski film that has almost that exact same plot. And it, I'm, it, I'm it, slipping it, on the on it, the title. It's but. A, it, it, it's a part of the series of, of the. No, uh, it's not no. a part. It's not. It's, it's, I think of White, it has. Something yeah, like no, it. it's made. It was made before <laughs> he made the Decalogue, and obviously before the, the Three Colors trilogy. But yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's a, a Kieslowski one that goes in a, in a similar direction. And neat stuff. Pet Cemetery Two, um, uh, the collector's edition. The Pet Cemetery, of course, adaptation of the Stephen King film 1989. Pet Cemetery Two, 1992. Yeah. Didn't really need this uh, Pet Cemetery Two. That was unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King don't like this movie, and I don't either. <laughs> uh, so you know, me and Stephen, they they remade Pet Cemetery, the original one, in 2019. This past with Jason, what's his name? Mm-hmm. And that movie again, also not necessary. And Stephen didn't like that one either. Um, collector's edition of My Bloody Valentine, the classic. Uh, my Bloody Valentine. The, the last two are from uh, Scream, uh, yeah. Pet Cemetery, and this are from yeah. Scream. Uh, the good folks over at Scream. 1981, My Bloody Valentine. Again, a staple film in the genre. Yeah, from the era of of the hack and slash films. Uh, you know, what do you kind what of you, over it? But yeah, yeah, I, 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 get was, the nost- I was over it in 1991. I get the nostalgia. Uh, this is a 4K scan, uh, yeah. so that's 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 nice. Radio spots, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, My Bloody Valentine. So uh, a bunch of Criterion stuff here. We've got a really great bunch of Criterion titles to uh, effectively start the year. I know we're not at the start of the year; we're in we're in March now. But uh, this this is uh, this is we're catching up a little bit here. Uh, Paris is Burning from 1990 was a kind of landmark Love documentary because it uh, it was the, it sort of mainstreamed what had been underground for a long time in New York, which was the drag scene among primarily black and Latino uh, drag queens. Yeah. And and their clubs and their their uh, fashion, their sort of internecine fashion industry, and um, it. <coughs> there I am again, still coughing. Uh, but all the things that they deal with, uh, what their culture deals with, it gets into you know this is sort of on the on uh, 1990. We're still in the AIDS crisis. It's still very, very much a part of what a lot of them are dealing with, and uh, it's it's a it's really a, still a seminal doc. And to look at it, it you think, wow, it's, it's so much of that is still quite relevant today. A lot of a lot of I, I, you know a lot of great extras on here too. There's a fantastic original audio commentary from 2005, um, and then uh, new conversations with a lot of the people who are depicted in the film. It's really, really quite interesting. And then an episode of the Joan Rivers Show from 1991 which is a pretty fabulous artifact to have dug up. Uh, the big deal from Criterion is Roma. This is, this is a big deal because it's the first time that a, uh, a Netflix movie has allowed itself to become part of the Criterion collection. Interesting. And uh, you think, well, Netflix pretty much wants just everything to sort of live on Netflix to force people. But you know what? I think they recognize that the Criterion... Yeah, there's a cachet. Right. Yeah. It bestows something on you. So this is a, a very nice uh, custom package with one of the most beautiful images from the film. And it, of course, won for its director, uh, best director and cinematography, Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, and it's a beautiful image on the cover, and uh, I am not a huge fan of the film, I will be honest. I, I think it's got, you know, some... I think it's slow and a little bit thin, but I am I am alone in that respect. I recognize it is a beautiful-looking film uh, throughout, and I think it is wonderful that it is part of the Criterion Collection. I think that's a... And, and a, something else was... Was it Marriage Story, or is it uh, The Irishman? One or both of them are going to be on Criterion as yeah. well. I think it's The Irishman. Yeah, I, w- I would almost think both. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. any case, yeah. 
there is now a, a Netflix Criterion pipeline, which I think is is a good thing. I think that's great. It validates both of them. It, it continues to mean it, it. It tells us that streaming and at least an, an elite tier of the packaged media world can coexist, and I think that's a that's a wonderful truth. So, anyway, um, they put a great bunch of extras together on this as well. And uh, if you love the movie, you're you know you're there. There are documentaries galore on this thing, all about the the pre production or the post production of it and how they put it together, the sound. I mean, it's it you know the, the it's really really impressive uh, how they campaigned, how they marketed the film. Uh, so Roma uh, from Criterion, a really really great milestone. Another great custom package release, and they did a really nice job on this package. Three Fantastic Journeys by Carol Zeman. And the journeys are Journey to the Beginning of Time, Invention for Destruction, and The Fabulous Baron Munchausen. Uh, the, this, this packaging is, re, is probably going to disappear at some point. I, I can't imagine they're going to continue to press this because it's basically a pop-up. It's, like a, it's, it's got a pop-up book aspect to it. Um, these are movies that were made in uh, between 1955 and 1962 by the very, very talented Czech filmmaker Carol Zeman. Carol Zeman is not a filmmaker that I'm necessarily familiar with, but he was kind of in the vein of Georges Méliès. He was doing things in the 50s and right into the early 60s that were rather extraordinary, uh, especially for European films at the time, but uh, even globally, really, really interesting. And these are fantastic Blu-rays to have. You're really going to discover a filmmaker that many of you didn't know existed before. There are short films of his on here, some of which are from, most of which are from the 1940s, and at least one of which, A Christmas Dream, is amazing. I mean, really amazing. 1945, A Christmas Dream, you've got to see. Um, there's, uh, there's Anna, I mean, you know, there's just so much on here. And uh, his impact uh, is, unbel- is undeniable. It's really, really interesting to check these films. He, um, he, he's just, he's just a, a rare kind of filmmaker. And, and the way that he puts all of this together, there's animation, there's live action. I mean, there's everything. You know, the, the, there's, there's surrealism, there's hyperrealism. It's, really, uh, it's really quite a discovery. So it's terrific to get this. A good box set, Three Fantastic Journeys by Carol Zeman, Z-E-M-A-N. And then the last two criterions here, uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini's Teorama or Teorima from uh, 1968. Not one of my favorite films. This has been out on DVD previously, not from the Criterion Collection. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I come and go on Pasolini. I uh, Solo is one of the original Criterion Collection releases, and a lot of people hate it. I, I truly dislike Solo, <laughs> and I. Not, not. I have similar feelings about this one. This is, uh, you know, he's just pushing buttons, and I'm not really into it. Terrence Stamp is really good in it, but he's about the only thing that I like in it. Um, he plays kind of this morally ambiguous, possibly supernatural figure. I mean, look, there's a, uh, there's just a, there's a, there's a lot going on in here, and and probably too much for my taste. But it is well made, and I will give it that. The one that I'm really going to recommend here is Antonio Gaudi. Uh, this yeah. is by Hiroshi Teshigahara, who uh, is famous for making uh, Woman in the Dunes. Uh, mm. This is from 1984. 
I know you're thinking Antonio Gaudi, what a Japanese movie called Antonio Gaudi? That yeah, doesn't make sense. Spain. He's a famous. He's a famous Spanish architect. Mm. Well, this is a Japanese movie, um, all about the the uh, famous uh, Spanish or Catalan architect Antonio Gaudi, uh, and uh, a really very very interesting film. It's it's not a documentary. It's not a narrative film. It's it's like a personal essay. Uh, like like it's like uh, cinematic poetry. It's a it's a tone poem. It is it's something that that exists in Japanese cinema, but which is 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 not that well known outside of Japan. And it is really a beautiful film. If you've seen Teshigahara's other films, if you've seen Woman in the Dunes, you understand that visual poetry is his thing. He's his his movies are very meditative and very kind of. Uh, dreamlike, and there's a lot of that here as well. It is incredibly interesting for a, for a film of this type. It is this, the filmmaking is on par with the architecture itself, and I don't know how else to describe it. It is a famous film. It is a it is a singular film experience, and you've you've got to you've just you got to check it out. It's really interesting, and if you're not familiar with Gaudi and his his architectural work you will be by the end of this and you will understand why there is a kind of synchronicity between Gaudi and Teshigahara that there is something that binds the one in his architecture to the other in his filmmaking really superb stuff mm, outstanding let's do some here? new movies these are, these are new movies uh, so to speak anyway yeah I, uh, let me go to the let me go to the most relevant most relevant of the new ones a beautiful day in the neighborhood uh, I just want to pull up to the top so yeah go ahead and talk about it because what the hell um, uh, yeah, Tom Hanks uh, yep. nominated. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, not surprised he didn't win per se. Um, but really, an inhabiting performance by Tom of the of the character of Mister Rogers. Yep. The persona of Mister Rogers. Uh, not one of those sort of imitation things that you get every now and again when somebody's playing someone extremely famous, particularly when the famous person has a very peculiar sort of uh, mm -hmm. um, um, affect. Yeah. Uh, as Mister Rogers did. The beautiful thing about this movie. Uh, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, is that it's not about Mr. Rogers at all. Um, and Mr. Rogers uh, is a conduit to, yeah. a, to a completely different story, and that's what I think is the genius of this film. It's not a film about I said Mr. on the Rogers. radio, it's Ben-Hur. Yeah? Ben-Hur, Mr. Rogers is to this movie as Jesus is to Ben-Hur. Ah. It is a, a figure who is so iconic and so perfect that you can't really generate any drama around them, but mm. you can have them create the gravity for the drama that affects someone else's life. Yeah. And that's and that's how I see it. To that extent, um, like, as uh, as Jesus is to Spartacus. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, the end of the, that movie is yeah. really about Jesus. Yeah. It's not about, about Spartacus at all. Um, um, special features, all kinds of great stuff, additional scenes, blooper reels. Uh, Tom Hanks, that's Fred Rogers. Um, it's just really, really good. The... The odd thing about not not an odd thing, but a a, a thing that I would have loved about this movie, Matthew Rees, uh, Rise yeah. is really really good in this film. So good, but because Tom Hanks is in the film and he's doing that that performance, you know, Mr. Rogers yeah. and all that, it, it, it sort of gets overlooked, got overlooked by the by our ward this season and everything. But he's the thing that holds this film together. He is. Yeah, I mean, Tom has to be good. Playing. I think people I think people undersold his performance a little bit because yes, he's doing the thing that he did on television in Brothers and Sisters, and he's done in a few movies, and and people forget. He's Welsh. Yeah. When he's playing an American jerk, <laughs> I know he plays that American jerk really well, and he's done it a lot, 
but he's Welsh. Yeah. Okay. He he's really really stretching. That's not who he is. I yeah. Mean, he's done British films and he and period films, and he's very different. So give the dude some credit. He's a really really good actor. I I think he's so good that people. Um, take him for granted sometimes. Yeah, it happens, it happens. Yeah. Uh, uh, this film, Dragonheart Vengeance, which is uh, in the lineage of the Dragonheart films that go all the way back to the, I don't know what year that film they did with um, uh, with Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All the kind of, this is the lineage of those films. This one this one has old. Helena Bonham Carter in it. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, which is a little, you know, I'm like, Helena, what the hell are you doing over here? still dragging this out, uh, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Dragging it Justin out. Justin would be so proud of you right now. <laughs> anyway, the, 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 think about this. Whatever with the Dragonheart films. Yeah. <laughs> CGI, not very good in this movie. No. If, just go, if you're going to do one thing correct in one of these movies, get the daggum dragon right. Yeah. We've all seen Game of Thrones now. I know. So you can't have some big, stupid-looking dragon flying around. Even before Game of Thrones, they had it right. Dragon, the first Dragonheart the didn't first even Dragon do it right. The first Dragonheart was actually, yeah. It, I mean, the, the, when they, what they did it right was Reign of Fire. Rain yes. of Fire killed that. Reign of Fire, and Matthew McConaughey. Still, Bell, yeah. one of my favorite theater experiences with you, because that was funny. That, that know, Dude, Reign of Fire. Because I remember uh, when when um, Christian Bale is, like, hitting away. And this is oh, yeah. <laughs> when he's just he's, he's got the pecs and the muscles working, and he's chipping away in that mine. And looking just amazing. And you leaned over to me, and you said, dude, we got to hit the gym. <laughs> And, and then and then Matthew McConaughey shows up and takes his shirt off and you lean over to me and you said, Dude, you, me, and Christian Bale got <laughs> yeah, to hit the gym. That was <laughs> It was crazy. And I love that movie, Dragonheart, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Chadwick Boseman and Sienna Miller in 21 Virtues. Did you see this? I didn't see it. Uh, yes, I did. And, um, uh, here's my deal on this. There, the... I, I don't know how these movies happen. There was the the other one that we had with uh, what's his name Henry Cavill. Yeah, the, the that's very similar to this, which which is came out you know about a month before or after I forget which. Um, and all these are these movies that I look at and I go, this is a straight to video movie with a B level cast that doesn't deserve to be in theaters, but for the fact that they somehow mm. got these actors to yep. be in this movie. Yep. I mean, if you're Chadwick Boseman and you're doing this, I've got to believe the only reason is that you've got a window in your schedule yeah. and somebody threw you a giant pile of money to make a really dumb movie. A ridiculous it's amount not, of money. Yeah. It's not terrible. No. He's good in it, but it's a waste of his talent, and it's kind of a waste of everyone's time. As far as I'm concerned, it's I mean, it's just it's pretty generic there. Th this movie comes out 50 times a year, direct to video. It yeah. just doesn't have Chadwick Boseman. Well, yeah, back in the day when it starred Bruce Willis, uh, you know, 35 years ago, you know, yeah, 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 yeah cop, uh, the cop killers, uh, the cops are going to find the cop. Yeah, they're going to shut down the town, shut down 21 bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. whatever, uh, whatever. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, Frankie. Uh, this was a lovely movie uh, that I remember seeing for the show. Um, lovely film. Brendan Gleeson, uh, Marissa Tomei, um, uh, Isabel Huppert at the top of the film. She's playing this actress, and she has this sort of extended family, yep. including an ex-husband and uh, her, 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 her daughter and her daughter's husband. And Marissa Tomei is roaming around, a friend of hers with Greg Kinnear, her fiancé. And all they're really doing is roaming around this beautiful, beautiful uh, Italian uh, village, yeah. chit-chatting and talking. The central thing at the center of all of this is the fact that they all know that Isabel Huppert's character, the son of grand matriarch of the family, is dying. 
Yeah. They all know that. She doesn't look like she's dying. She's not dying right then. Uh, you know, and, and that's what I like about this film. The film isn't about the process uh, of, of dealing with all of that. It's about that sort of psychological and mental process that people go through. Um, uh, as all of these people whose lives she's affected are, um, uh, you know, sort of, sort of coming to grips with the fact that uh, at some point she is uh, sooner rather than later going to pass away. And I rather enjoyed it. Isabella Huppert, particularly good in the movie. Uh, special features include a Q&A with the director, Ira Sachs. Uh, and Isabel Huppert. Ira directed a lovely little movie a couple of a couple of years ago. I wish I could remember the name, but it'll pop up in my head in a second. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can remember. A uh, few more over here. You yeah, let me let me hit off some keynotes. Yeah. We got a we got a pile of keynotes here, and they're all worth getting to. So here from the Kino Studio Classics line, um, I'm going to blow through this as as efficiently as I possibly can. Uh, room at the top. You got to get this. This is uh, this is a must-have uh, Blu-ray from 1959. Maybe the best film that Jack Clayton ever directed. Jack Clayton, famous British director yeah. who didn't really have a huge international career, but he was very, he he may be known to a lot of people here because in later in his career he directed um, something Wicked This Way Comes, yeah, which was the introduction of Jonathan Price in yeah. movies. Uh, something Wicked This Way Comes, really uh, uh, underrated movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but he got his lone Oscar nomination for Best Director for Room at the Top, which is an angry young man era of movie from 1959, starring Lawrence Harvey as a, um, as a working class guy who marries in order to work his way out of his social strata mm -hmm. and winds up falling in love with another woman along the way. Um, it's all about you know all of those class issues and those working class issues that uh, that the angry young men films were doing at the time. Simone Signore and Lawrence Harvey have just the most sizzling chemistry in this movie. It is absolutely superb, and uh, you really want to check it out. It won two Academy Awards for Signore and for uh, screenwriter Neil Patterson. Did not win one for Jack Clayton, but doesn't matter. Jack Clayton is still a hell of a director. He he nails it with this one. It's just a beautiful movie. Um, <clears throat> Fritz Long, his Hollywood movies are, are obviously not as interesting as his his uh, German silence, but they're still really really interesting and. Uh, this one is one of his one of it's really interesting in the context of his career. It's called House by the River. It stars Lewis Hayward, Lee Bowman, and Jane Wyatt of all people. And uh, this is when he um, he was working for Republic Pictures. He his career here had kind of gone a little sideways, and he 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 made uh, a surprisingly good little thriller here that is better than what it really should be. Um, it's uh, it's got all kinds of he he's able to introduce all kinds of stylistic things and and subtextual things here that are not obviously part of what the original material probably was, but uh, it's a good little kind of uh, quasi noiry thriller that uh, has some ew, how it put a little a little uh, it has it veins in it that wouldn't have that shouldn't have passed censors at the time but they did because the censors were just too uh dense to realize what's really going on but um it's cool it's you know it's got a it's got a murder and it's got uh, some hitchcockian duplicity and double cross and steamy romance and crisscross and some good stuff going on so uh check it out it's it's really cool uh written by mel Dinelli. And uh, shot by the famous Edward Kronjäger, two really, really talented people as well. Has a uh, commentary by Alexandra Heller Nicholas and uh, an interview with the uh, producer and film historian who recently passed, mm. a fixture at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, Pierre Rissian. Yeah. So I've met Pierre. He's, he is missed, but um, wonderful, wonderful interview there. 
Also, uh, Ernest Shodsack's Dr. Cyclops, which is a silly film, but it's it's fun to to discover now because it was so interesting to photograph at the time, so aggressive in 1940. Um, you know, the uh, this is Shodsack, of course, of the Shodsack and Marion C. Cooper team that made King Kong. And uh, this is, you know, uh, experimenting with Technicolor in the early days. 1940 is just a year after Gone with the Wind and a few years after uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and, you know, uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood. So we're still really kind of pushing what three-strip Technicolor can do, and they find a really interesting way of using it in a science fiction context here. Um, the story is silly, but uh, the special effects and the cinematography and the, the uh, photography are really, really cool, and uh, it got an Oscar nomination for its special effects at the time. So, um, you know, but, I mean, all the, all the, the crazy mad scientist stuff, and, you know, it, it's, it, it doesn't date terribly well. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the Oscar. A lot of people really, really hate this movie. Uh, this is a... This is, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's, it's cheesy, but it's, it's meant to be cheesy. Uh, this is from 1965, uh, and the, the, this is a... Oh, gosh. How would we even put this? It, it, it's meant to be... It's meant to be kind of somewhere between Valley of the Dolls and All About Eve. Yeah. Uh, is maybe the best way of putting it, and in, and uses Hollywood and and the idea of you know trying to win an Academy Award is kind of a backdrop to it, it and it's a it's a really campy cast. I mean, Elkie Sommer realizes that she's just playing this high camp. Eleanor Parker as well. Milton Berle, he's just long for the ride. Stephen Boyd just needs to look pretty, um, and then you know Tony Bennett and Joseph Cotton and Jill St. John and Ernest Borgnine, and it's just unbelievable. What's really interesting here is is how this thing all kind of came together. Everybody else who's involved in this, it's nuts. Harlan Ellison, the science fiction writer who mm -hmm. wrote City on the Edge of Forever for Star Trek, mm -hmm. co-wrote this. Hmm. And uh, Percy Faith did the music. Oh, <laughs> Percy Faith, yeah. So, uh, and to really appreciate this, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't want to even watch the movie without a commentary. There are two commentaries on here. There's one with Howard S. Berger and Steve Mitchell and Nathaniel Thompson, which is very scholarly. Mm -hmm. Screw it. Listen <laughs> to the audio commentary with Patton Oswalt, oh, Josh yes. Olson, and Eric Nelson. Oh, yeah. That's the one you want to listen to. Yes. It is fun as hell. And uh, it's what makes this purchase all all the worthwhile. It really, just listen to Patton Oswalt go, pull that ripcord. It is great. Uh, Perfect Friday with Ursula Andress, Ed, Stanley Baker, and David Warner was directed by Peter Hall, the great British stage director, whose daughter Rebecca Hall is, of course, uh, an Oscar nominee and shows up in a lot of good movies now and again here. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is, this is perfectly fine. It's, uh, it is a British film of a certain type from 1970 when a lot of this stuff was being done on television, occasionally spilling over into, uh, into the movies. And uh, it's, you know, sort of about a, uh, a bank heist, British style, um, British uh, upper crust style, we could say. And um, it's not really a heist movie. It's more of a, a sophisticated thriller, but it is, um, it is sophisticatedly funny and intermittently very, very clever. Transylvania 65,000. Oh. Yeah, I know. Um, I've gone back and forth on whether or not I like this movie or not. <laughs> it depends it, on... It, this is from 1985. I think it dates very poorly, but it's got a certain camp quality that makes it fun. Uh, Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr., uh, both very young at the time. 
lead a cast of a whole lot of people. John Biner, Jeffrey Jones, Gina Davis. I mean, a lot of people, Carol Kane. It's, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a horror comedy, um, but it's not Young Frankenstein. It, it's not anywhere near the league of Young Frankenstein. It seems to think that it is. And if you look closely, you will see a young Michael Richards show up in this thing, uh, kind of just on the eve of when I think he was also in that, uh, the, uh, the, uh, um, hmm. the, 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 what was the, oh, what was the dumb comedy that, um, oh, what's his name, who did, oh, now I'm drawing a crazy blank, that dumb comedy that uh, Weird Al did. Oh, um, uh, Weird Al, um, oh, Weird yeah, Al's this stupid comedy, um, um. Oh my no! You know I'm I'm confusing it with uh, what's oh, his name from well, Yahoo. Anyway. I'm confusing it with Yahoo Serious. Yahoo Serious, yeah, the, the, the weird the one, the weird Einstein. one, the young guy. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Michael Richards very young at the time. I think this is even pre Fridays. FM, FM. Thank, Thank you. you. Before he did FM. Anyway, uh, so Transylvania six five thousand. Give it a shot. See if you think uh, there's anything worth it in here. I I don't think so necessarily. Legal Eagles, totally forgettable movie. Uh, Robert Redford. And yeah, totally forgettable. Ivan Reitman movie after Ghostbusters where he tried to be a little bit more uh, romantic and legit, and he tried to make a Sidney Pollack movie by putting Robert Redford, Deborah Winger, and Daryl Hannah in a movie about lawyers and, 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 and people and, <laughs> you know, and lawyers, and they love, and they do law, and then they love, and they do law, and whatever. It's not really very good, uh, but, uh, you know, it's very professionally made. Day of the Dolphin mm. with George C. Scott. Um, Mike Nichols directed this. Isn't that weird? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I mean, I know that movie forever, but I, in my mind, if you had asked me who directed it, I wouldn't have said you know 1973, what? man. I mean, it's like it's a weird story. He trains dolphins to talk. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's kind of sci-fi-ish. Buck and Henry. We lost Buck not too long ago. I know. Writing Buck it, Henry. Shot by Bill Fraker, written by Buck Henry. Um you know, Georges Delarue did the music. Richard Silbert did the production design. It's like an A A team all around. They're all great, and I don't know. It's kind of a kind of a weird quasi sci fi yeah. sort of thriller, but not really either. I don't know. Hey, it, look, I, I think I knew Buck Henry wrote that, but it's not a very Buck Henry type. Movie. No, it's not. Broad, it's not. Broad, George C. Scott's speaking. really good in it. Yeah. Um, and it's right before he he uh, you know, kind of. I mean, it's obviously after Strange Love, and it is it is uh, it is after Patton. He's mm. won his Oscar for Patton, but man, it's just kind of anyway. Uh, the Warlord with Charlton Heston, uh, directed by Franklin Schaffner. As long as we're talking about Patton, the director of uh, Patton before he made Patton in 1965, um, uh, is effectively a medieval. It's a medieval drama set in the 11th century uh, about Duke William of Ghent uh, and his knight, Chrysogon, played by Charlton Heston, and um, how they're trying to sort of... It's about conflict on the coast of Normandy. and Anyway, it, it, if you don't know the medieval history behind this, it's probably going to be a little bit hard to sort of figure out what's going on and why anybody cares and, you know, the feudal this and that and who are Frisians. I don't know. What, why does anybody care about... Mm. What, are they, what are they after? Um, uh, I, I, I didn't... I didn't. I, almost nobody in that movie is correctly cast. No, Richard Boone, for God's sakes. He's I, a cowboy. <laughs> I know. You, you can't put him in, a, in, in Maelstrom and give I, him a sword. He's still a cowboy. Yeah. yeah James Ferentino. He's Italian. I know. It's... it's 
it's a silly movie, but you know what? Shafter. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's Shafter just, gives you some action, and it's I guess the action keeps mm-hmm. it going. Uh, Brian Forbes, great action director in his day, did The Whisperers in 1967, which um, has a has a it, it it it's an interesting film to watch now because it's it's basically about this um, this old woman. Who is it, it's like elder abuse, I guess. Basically, mm. it's 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 the story of delusion and elder abuse, and uh, it, it and how this all is able to happen. And when you look at it today, now that elder abuse is a much more mainstream thing and talked about, it's really quite prophetic and and prescient in a in a very disturbing way. And it's unfortunate that that is the case. Mm. Um, but it's really stylish. Cat Ellinger gives a, a wonderfully incisive uh, commentary here. And uh, and Forbes, you know, who's primarily known more for sort of uh, action-y, espionage stuff, does a, does a really good job. Uh, last three, real quickly. Uh, Arthur Hiller, who made just tons of bad movies, yeah. doesn't do too badly with Tobruk, which, of course, was all about the Battle of Tobruk in World War II. There's nothing else going on here. Rock Hudson and George Pappard and Guy Stockwell all get to act real macho and tough and and do the war thing. And, uh, I mean, it's not like a modern war picture, but it's it's serviceable, and the history is interesting. And uh, there's a decent commentary on here, Steve Mitchell and uh, Stephen J. Rubin. Uh, Uz- Ulzana's Raid is a uh, Burt Lancaster Western from 1972, kind of the era when Westerns are getting a little grungier and dirtier. Um, it, it's not great, but it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's serviceable. Uh, I mean, you know, Lancaster, kind of, he's getting older, and he kind of walks through it, and it's not one of his best performances. But, um, you know, he's a, he's, a cavalry, he's a cavalry guy who's trying to track down um, a, uh, a bunch of renegade Indians, one of whom is known as Ulzana, played by Joaquin Martinez. And uh, it's okay. You know, it's mm. pretty standard. Just other, It just happens to have Burt Lancaster in it. And then lastly, I have grown very nostalgic for this movie. Is is incredibly not part of the zeitgeist that we have now as oh, it is. Yeah. But you know what? I know it's totally politically incorrect today, but screw it. Uh, Burt Reynolds, Chris Christopherson, and Jill Clayburg in Semi-Tough. You know what? This movie, this this is about as football um, objectification of women and <laughs> sexist as you are ever going to see in a movie. It is an artifact of its time. Nineteen seventy-seven. Michael Ritchie was born in nineteen thirty-eight. For God's sake! I know Michael Ritchie. You know this is the, who, who, of course, did uh, no, yeah, Fletch, Golden Fletch, Child, and, uh, and, and yeah, Downhill Racer, yeah, and stuff, a lot yeah. of other stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, cool it, running uh, look, I'm sorry. This is Bert being as sexist as he wants to be. He just takes his character from Spokey and the Bandit and turns it up to 11, and I'm okay with that. Chris <laughs> Christopherson just kind of takes his lead. It's all good. It's about football. Not yeah. really. It's about men and women no. and sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Uh, yeah, finish finish off a few yeah. of these. Did yeah, you yeah. see this wacky movie, Greener Grass, came out this year? Very strange. Oh my film. gosh! I'll do my I'll do that in about thirty seconds. <laughs> so the people who made Greener Grass yeah. are out of their minds. This movie, I was on the radio talking about this with with Christy Lemire, and Christy loved it. Yeah, an odd movie, but two women jobs in the movie with so Don freak- Don Luby's freakish sort of suburban it's, set. It is it is beyond. It's like it's like they created a world in which nobody talks to each other or behaves like normal people. Yeah. It, they're like Martians, and someone will have a baby, and it's like I like your baby. Okay, well you can have my baby here, no, really? and they like give their child yeah. away. And then someone will say, like, I don't, you know, I don't really like our marriage anymore. I'd like to have a divorce. Okay. 
I mean, this kind of stuff. It's all about bizarre, passive-aggressive it's just behavior. Weird. It's like weird suburbia for the sake of being weird. The yeah. whole thing is just... It's meant to just be as weird as it can and not make sense and have everyone just act in a completely counterintuitive, inhuman way. And, and then at the end, they kind of try to pull a little pathos back. It, look, if you just want to see something that's completely from Mars, <laughs> Greener Grass is your movie. It's well made, but it's totally bizarre. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, standing to the left of just about everything. Ugh. What are you going to do when the world's on fire? An absolutely uh, fantastic uh, Roberto Minervini film yeah. uh, set in the American South, 2017, uh, when several black men are being uh, killed. Uh, and it's just a uh, absolutely devastating film, uh, black and white. Uh, the photography is extraordinary. Uh, most of the uh, 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 most of the, um, the the actors in the film are from the region around and yeah. about. Very Desica in that of, way. A lot of non actors. Yeah, a lot of non actors. Should have gotten way. a better theatrical it, release. It wouldn't have wouldn't have been great. It, it, reminiscent of Charles Burnett yeah. to sleep with anger. To sleep with anger Thank for you. sure. For uh, sure. That's um, that's yeah. the. Um, the reference that I would give you there. Uh, Snatches is this perfectly insane, uh, it was a series uh, come, come movie, uh, about this young woman uh, who has sex with her boyfriend for the first time. Un unbeknowingly to her, her boyfriend has been infected by an alien parasite. Oh, well, I, I hate it when that, that happens. It's a bummer, and she wakes up the morning a full nine months pregnant. Well, you know, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're going to have a baby, you know, you, 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 you do it Tuesday night, wake up Wednesday morning, nine months pregnant, and then you have yourself the date that she like has. Like the Richard Stanley movie. film with Nick Cage we talked about. Oh, yeah, exactly. To go, and it pretty much goes in that direction. Yeah. Uh, you look, I'm sure the kids will find that a lot of fun. I thought it was terrible. We have a road trip movie called Winter Flies. Lovely little film, actually, 2018 film. Uh, from a couple of years ago, a uh, 14-year-old uh, 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 girl sets out behind the wheel of a stolen car uh, with her with her with her buddy, and they they head off into the wastelands of Czechos uh, of, of the Czech Republic, and uh, you know they have adventures. I love little movies like this; they're a yeah. lot of fun. And uh, nothing. And what I like the most about this one is nothing bad happens. Nothing bad happens at all. They go on some misadventures, have a little fun. Everybody gets the the lady gets her car back, and. Uh, you know, I, I hate to give it away, but look, I like it when that happens. The the wave, look, Justin Justin Long. I don't know what the hell Justin Long did <laughs> with his career. I don't either. Because you know, I mean, he was a phone guy in the commercials. Then yeah. he had himself this movie career for a yeah. moment, and and now he's just in the most bizarre and weird movies all yeah. the damn time. I just don't know what to say. Hanging around with Kevin Smith will do that to you. Yeah. Uh, if you hang around him too damn long. But here we have it again. Justin Long, he's just an insurance lawyer. Uh, he's, he, he goes out to celebrate a promotion, uh, and everything goes completely south when he takes this hallucinogen uh, uh, drug, and, and, and he shifts worlds, and the whole scene becomes something. Uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, commentary real, and you're going to need it if you want to know what the hell this movie is about. That's for sure. Oh, the I good did liar. not. I did not like. I'm sorry. Uh, Mirren and 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 I love both of them. McKellen. I have to say though, Ian McKellen, Helen a good Mirren. liar. Yeah. I have to say, uh, and I'm biased because I keep talking about cinematographers that I know. But uh, Tobias Schleisler, yeah. who shot this, gorgeous, shot our short. Yeah, our shortlisted uh, yeah. short for the Oscars, Refugee. So, and he works with. Uh, he he does everything for. Um, Oh, the director. Yeah. Uh, 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 who directed this damn? I always forget. Uh, uh, Bill Condon. Bill Condon. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Bill. you know, like Beauty and the Beast yeah. and everything else. So, 
he uh, he's Bill Condon's guy, and uh, he does a great job. And I know what Tobias' his whole style is, and Tobias is really diverse, and this is very different from what he did for us. Mm. So uh, I just think the world of him. I, if nothing else, see this because it's beautiful. It's shot. a gorgeous movie. Yeah. This, I, look, I wish the story held together better. It's a con yeah. man movie. Uh, with uh, two old actors, which with, is with two old kind actors. of part of the problem. You know, exactly. And, and the yeah. question is, who is conning whom? Yeah, as they would say in the UK. Uh, special features, per, uh, a little bit deleted scenes and uh, whatnot. Not a whole lot. So three other new movies that I'm going to mention in a mouthful because they're all doing the same thing. Sometimes we'll talk about movies in a batch because it's like, hey, look, we got a bunch of movies with a guy holding a gun on the cover. Yeah. So all three of these movies have two things in common. One, they think that the title will look more exciting if they tilt the lettering. <laughs> so if the lettering tilts to the right, it makes it look like you're going fast yeah like you're leaning into the wind so the lettering tilts and then the other thing is they all have their stars on the cover with some kind of a motor vehicle uh line of duty which tilts (laughs) has aaron eckhart and a a car in the background and he's a cop he's a cop courage never stands down courage Uh, never stands down what the hell did you do to your career boy uh yeah aaron who who uh made what what, what the school with uh my wife, my yeah. wife produced the short, the original short films that he was in, in in college. Yes, my wife produced all those short films, and he he ate a rabbit in one of them. He actually cooked a dead rabbit and ate it to get all method. Craziest, craziest story I've ever heard. Yeah. Anyway, uh, here he plays a uh, a cop trying to redeem himself. He's you know fallen from grace, and uh, he's he's got a chance now when the police chief's daughter is abducted to be the guy that you know. Hey, I'm gonna take them down and get my get my job. Redeem myself in the eye. Whatever. It's kind of standard. Aaron's a good actor, but I don't know if he's good enough to pull that off. Um, Acceleration. Mm. It leans. They they literally, in the word. It's in the word. This is uh, uh, Dolph Lundgren on the cover here, along with Natalie Byrne. I guarantee you, Natalie Byrne's real name is not Byrne. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, she changed that one. Natalie Byrne and Dolph Lundgren in acceleration with a fast car. I love this tagline, too. Action, action has never been this fast. <laughs> yeah, it has. It's been faster. The full buck and a half to yeah, pay for faster. that. I know. It's crazy. Uh, but your uh, your buddy uh, Rampage Jackson's in this, Yes, too. Quentin Rampage He's put Jackson. on some weight. Yes. <laughs> hey, man, it's been, it's been 10 years since Bad Guys, you know. My God. Goodness, UFC on, fighter Rampage Jackson. The Rampage the, also not his name. He's not in the yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, in the, he's not in the ring anymore. You, so. you know, you know, you, you know, Rampage is a, is a ridiculous bazillionaire. You know why? Why owns one of those EA Sports teams? No kidding. You know, the, uh, the, the, um, you know, there's the, money in that. Oh, dude, so much money. So much money, and he's he's a millionaire fifteen times over. Oh my goodness, what a great investment that was! Well, live and learn. I didn't know that. Anyway, this is also about a kidnapping, just like the other one. Go figure. And uh, here, Dolph Lundgren plays a uh, an organized crime chieftain who uh, who's double crossed by Natalie. Burn <laughs> and uh, might be her name. Yeah, so yeah. he uh, he kidnaps her son, and then it, it gets all ugly from there. Goes sideways, and then the last one is the courier, and the tagline here is not so great. From a producer of the darkest hour. From a producer of the darkest <laughs> a, hour. Yeah, the line producer. So so and, and oh look, it has Gary Oldman in it, who will literally do anything if you write him if you write a check for his quote. Yeah, yeah. So and yeah. he's got an oh, the day. Yeah. So, oh, he's a pirate. The Courier from a producer of The Darkest Hour, starring Gary Oldman with an eye patch. 
That's what this is. Oh, man, uh, man. Dermot- I, I don't know why they think they can buy a legitimate movie. I don't know. By sticking a once-was-a-movie star in it. It does not I work. I just don't know. Gary Oldman will pretty much do anything. I he's like great, Gary. He's I'm great not, in everything I he does. I like Gary, but you know. He's, you know. But it's like, it's like, what was the thing that he was in with, with uh, where, where he played? The thing on the boat? Yeah, what was the what was the, the the thing with the what what's his name that we always make fun of the Scottish actor who does who'll also do anything? Uh, oh, uh, from uh, uh, oh you know uh, what? <laughs> I can't. I can't from even... from uh, uh, what Scottish actor? The Scottish actor the who does all the uh, America's falling, New York is falling. Oh, Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> who Sherm sees on so, the hill? It was some Gerard Butler submarine movie where Gary Oldman is in there and he's uh, he's, he's like a he's he's. he's a, <laughs> I He's remember an ambassador, that. Yeah. and then, and then, like the whole thing—it made absolutely no sense. And uh, I can't, I, I can't even. Anyway, I'm making, um, we're making fun of these guys. These guys, Gary, Gary Oldman makes so a half money. a million dollars for every movie he's in. I know, not a it's, penny it's less than ridiculous. a half a million dollars. So you know, it's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, so this movie, look, I mean, it's called The Courier, and it's, it, yes, it's about a courier. It's, <laughs> I mean, you know. What, what are you going to do? He, he's, he's a crime boss, and he's got an enemy who's going to testify against him, and so he needs to kill this guy. And then, you know, Olga Kurilenko, for some reason, he shows up with a motorcycle and says, I'll be the courier, and, I, I, you know, the, the, there's a whole bomb thing. It, none of it really makes any sense. I know act- the reason, because she looks good in black leather. That's true. That's the reason. All very, very true. Yeah. Um, Alright, well that is it for this week. We are out of time, and uh, we will be back next week with uh, hopefully better movies and a lot of fun stuff, but uh, there's a lot of good stuff that we have backlogged too, so we'll uh, we'll cover some foreign stuff next week. We'll prioritize the foreign films, really good stuff that's, uh, that's come in over the last few weeks, so we will see you next week. Thank you.